The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have Sam Bates, who's the CEO and principal of Bates Capital Group, which is a private equity firm out of Dallas, Texas, with over $200 million in assets under management. Uh, today, we're going to talk about multifamily and Dallas, uh, Dallas's market, a bunch of the cool things that Sam has going on. So, Sam, welcome on the show. Thank you for having me, Ben. I look forward to talking to you and hopefully providing information and knowledge to your listeners. Yeah, definitely. So let's start with what's your first milestone in real estate? I think the first one was looking back on it was probably about the littlest, um, but it was just getting that first single family home. It was actually a rental property before I owned my own personal residence. And I remember before we closed, I I'd hired a contractor and we had the lockbox. He actually went in and started renovating before we closed. <laughs> and um, I found that out. And of course, that could have brought on significant legal ramifications. And but it basically lit a fire under me saying this is happening, no matter what, yeah. uh, what what's going to transpire, I got to buy this. And we were probably a week out from closing. And I didn't foresee anything happening. But it definitely made me realize I can't get cold feet, and I need to move forward. And um, there were a lot of, I mean, that just then proved that there's going to be a lot of issues that you're going to have to pivot and navigate through. Um, but that was definitely the first maybe milestone. And from there, it's just kind of went into multifamily acquisition development, land development, um, uh, almost all verticals of the of real estate at this point. Wow. Well, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> crazy story. It definitely seems like lot to learn from you know from that but uh i guess it's fortuitous that you're thrown in no matter what because now now we're here so um great well i'd love to hear a little bit about your your journey to where you've you know how you've gotten to the point you're at now kind of like you know what where you started and, and what you learned along the way yeah um starting out i've since I was little, um, I was always interested in money and investing. And I started investing in CDs literally when I was 10 or 11 with the help of my mom and grandpa. And then that moved to mutual funds. And at that time, ETFs weren't in existence. And um, I started paying attention to the stock market. So I decided to get my undergrad in finance. I was always interested in real estate, but didn't know much about it to be honest with you. Um, I didn't have any real estate classes in finance. I focused more on the um, security side and the core classes that we had to have. And then I went and interned at a large financial institution. 
and they gave me a full-time offer and I started as an investment analyst out there. I, I love my job, but I re quickly realized we were putting an investor who made 250,000 versus an investor with 10 million in assets in the same portfolio. And it just really didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I decided to go back to grad school and I got my master's in personal financial planning and MBA. And during that time, that's when the market just tanked. And it made me reevaluate and assess not only for myself, but if I'm wanting my profession to go out and try to get people to invest in a security or a bucket of securities I have absolutely no control over, um, that's just not going to work for me. So after grad school, I started a consulting firm. Um, they put me in a division I wasn't aware of existed. <laughs> and I was in sales and use tax. I, I thought I was going to be in a different group. But from there, it quickly made me realize I needed to find other alternatives. And in grad school, I read a couple of real estate books. And then um, luckily, Dallas is great for real estate and real estate investing. So I invested as a limited partner in a few syndications. And they didn't do too well, to be honest with you. Um, and that's what made me realize, okay, I should buy single family. And I did that. And after four years, I realized you couldn't scale it. I couldn't really, I could make a decent living, but I, I, I don't know. It just didn't fulfill me. So I started looking at small multifamily deals. I ran into one of my partners now who I used to work with at one of the consulting firms. He was doing the same thing. So he decided to come and partner up. Um, and since you're a young guy, maybe you can respect this or hate this, but we were both in our twenties and no, no multifamily broker would give us any day, um, or time of day. And we submitted offers and we were told some of the offers were higher than anybody else, but they didn't trust we could close. So, um, Michael, who was that partner, he knew a guy from his church who was a mainly a single family custom home builder. And we asked him, can you build us a multifamily project? And he had some land that he was actually building a retail strip center on. So we joined forces together and it's kind of went from there. Um, that was in 2015. And since then, I've been a GP on 15 or 16 projects now. We have four multifamily developments in, in our pipeline that we're basically breaking ground on right now or done the horizontal construction. Um, we build close to 200 single family homes a year. We always have land development projects in the pipeline. Um, we have a title company. So we've grown almost vertically integrated. We don't self-manage maybe down the road, but um, that, that's very labor intensive. And we, we have 50 to 60 employees on the home building and apartment building side. So we just feel like it's better to let the professionals on the third party property management side handle it and we'll work on higher value add activities. Yeah. Well, that's really awesome. And it's, um, you know, it sounds like you've really opened up the, you know, in terms of like the, the different capacities you have, that's really, it's really cool. And um, it's funny how, how you, you know, maybe not the most traditional route you came, you, you know, you, kind of were an LP, then you were like, okay, wait, I, I want to do this. And then you went to development 
and uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. That's one thing I love about the podcast is hearing how people's different stories evolve. So I'm glad, I'm glad to hear yours. Um, so what are the markets that you're investing in? Um, you know, where, where do you like to invest? I think you, you know, I looked at a little bit of your portfolio and it sounds like definitely some cool markets, but I kind of want to hear how you, how you thought about that, how you chose and, you know, just what's your, what's your outlook on, on these markets. Yeah. Um, primarily it's DFW. All of our building except one project has been in DFW. Um, we feel like we know, especially West of Fort Worth better than anybody else. We're the largest landowner in one of the counties West of Fort Worth. So we, we have the data, we have the knowledge that nobody else can compare to honestly. And then from the multifamily acquisition side, we spent a few years going hard and Dallas proper, Fort Worth proper, and we just didn't get any acquisitions. So we started looking at secondary and tertiary markets. And honestly, they've been phenomenal for us. There's some metrics that we require before we invest in one, but there's less competition. If I think a key is having a good property manager, either locally or one that you've worked with that can go in and work in that market. And um, if you have that presence or you're self-managing, I feel like you can go really anywhere. Um, and that's led us to go into three other states, um, at, well, Georgia, Florida, and Mississippi, but the property in Mississippi is literally 10, 15 minutes south of Memphis. So it's Memphis MSA. And we had either already relationships there or points of contact at those states that we knew if we went in, they could help us manage the properties effectively um, and get the returns that we require for ourselves and our investors. And over the last five or six years, um, the secondary and tertiary markets have done phenomenal, but at the same time, there's been cap rate compression, there's been rent growth. So there's a lot of things that have helped. And now that there's more uncertainty and uh, uncertainty in the market, we're starting to focus more on the true primary markets again, such as DFW, Austin, Atlanta, um, the larger cities in Fort Worth or in Florida, um, just to possibly if there is a downturn, the secondary and tertiary markets are always impacted first and depending on what market you're in, you could argue there's already been a downturn. Pricing's dropped probably 10 to 20%. Um, so we just want to get in the core areas right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to get a little more granular with that one market you mentioned in Fort Worth. Um, you tell us a little bit about, you know, I guess what you liked about that market, how you found it, and then like how you, like tell us about your competitive advantage there and, and how you, I guess, utilize that how you grew that Sounds yeah like um the that market is parker county which comprises weatherford is it's the largest city and we've done multiple multifamily developments in that county that's where we build probably 100 150 homes a year and we we like that market for several reasons that you could look at any direction in dallas or fort worth and there's growth that you could argue path of progress, but if you're going to Frisco or Plano McKinney, where is North of Dallas, that's everybody in the nation probably knows about that. 
Um, especially if you're in real estate, you know, Frisco, you know, McKinney. Yeah. So there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of demand um, west of Fort Worth. It's not quite as um, it doesn't have the trajectory or some of the metrics that maybe a Frisco does, but it's still a very solid market and it's still a market that's better than I would say most places in the nation. And um, one of my partners, he's been in that market for 15, 20 years. Um, we built our office out there. That's where our 50 employees are. We have um, independent contractors that work in that market that note well. So it just gives us, uh, I don't think any of the large groups in Dallas or Fort Worth are focusing on Weatherford. There's been some projects that have been built bigger than ours um, and some projects that are actually nicer than ours, but like we can build a proper, our last apartment we built for about 120,000 a unit. That's pretty much unheard of. Um, some of the properties in that market are selling for 250 a door. Um, so just with the labor force that we have with the, our supply chain, where we buy the product from, and it's good quality product. We can, we'll compare and compete with the other two properties. Our products better than one of the properties. That's a little bit inferior to the other one, but I know they spent a lot more on their build costs than we did. So um, from an overall return perspective, I would rather have our product than what they produce with their with their um, capex budget. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely makes sense because it's all about, I guess, how much you spend and then how much you can sell it for. You know, yeah. it's a pretty simple equation there. But um, yeah. So like, that's really interesting. And like, I, I find when um talking to like real estate developers and real estate sponsors that like when someone has a competitive advantage that's the most powerful thing. And that's where, you know, they can make risk adjusted returns consistently because they have something that they can do that other people can't do, which just gives them an added mark, like an added piece. So I kind of want to know if like, how do you try to build a competitive advantage and like, you know, what's the importance of a, comp a competitive advantage for you and kind of, um you know, how do you see yourself doing that in, in another market if you intend to? Yeah. I, I think just the economy a scale that we've created gives us comp competitive advantage because from the home building business, we have agents and our engineering team and just other parts of the company looking at land all day, every day, talking to landowners, talking to brokers. So we can get land cheaper than the lay investor from Dallas or from New York or somewhere. I, I don't think most investors from New York would come in and build but we have that competitive advantage. We have a dirt moving company where last year it was costing three fifty dollars a foot to move dirt. Now it's at six, $6 a foot. We can still do it for ourselves for three fifty dollars or less. So um, just in the dirt process and excavation process, the horizontal construction, we provide a lot of value that other people can't. Um, with we, one thing I didn't mention, we import a lot of product from China that slowed down a little bit during COVID and, um, during the, the tariff wars, but we have a large warehouse where we can store 18,000 square feet of product if we need to, 
So there's a lot of advantages we have that a typical syndicator can't do. Um, and that's helped us keep costs low. That's helped us um, just provide returns to investors that we expect and require. And we've created a name for ourselves in the community. And luckily we've been able to hire some great people and they've been a huge asset to us and our growth. And now Daniel, who's the contractor, he's not having to build a house. He, he can focus on other activities. I'm not having to do the day-to-day -day on asset management. I can turn that over to somebody and it's just helped us be able to focus and grow and build out an organization and not just kind of a mom and pop real estate company. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really powerful. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to kind of hear, you know, oh, I guess to, to preface it, I've heard of some people slowing down their development saying like, oh, we're going to pause right now because prices are so high. You want to wait till prices come down or different difficulties, labor, I guess, you probably know more than me, but can you kind of discuss some of the difficulties that developers are having now? And then are you able to persevere through those and continue to build? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's problems and I feel like this business or game, whatever you want to call it, it's dealing with people and their drama and solving problems and problems that arise from the economy, from whatever. So we did have labor shortages. We did have inflation um, like everybody else, um, one of our projects, we finished almost a year later than what we projected. And it was because it took five months to get windows. Um, sometimes we were having to move labor from one house to the apartment or from the apartment to subdivision. So there's definitely problems and issues. I do think we've been able to continue developing because we are buying product at such a low basis and we can build at such a low basis. Um, I mean, another problem that we are having is debt is, as the capital markets change, debts completely changed. I mean, you could get on the acquisition side, you could get debt at, on floating last year, two, two fifty three somewhere in there. Um, that's impossible now. So you just have to pivot and, try to mitigate the risk and exposure as much as possible. And I think being essentially vertically integrated has helped us because we can control all channels of the development. We can do the site work. We can put in utilities. We can do everything to turn it over the keys to the property manager to help lease it up. So in some ways, I, th I think that's been a big benefit and we're very selective. Like, over the last seven years, we've bought, I don't know, six to seven acquisitions. Um, and in hindsight, I wish we would have bought a hundred, but <laughs> at the same time, we've provided phenomenal returns to investors. And if we would have bought a hundred acquisitions, we wouldn't have gotten to, we wouldn't have done as much development. And I think we're at a place now where when we're building we're building a brand new like triple class A student housing development for 160,000. I mean, you can't find 1970s product in Dallas for that. Granted, it's not in Dallas, but we have probably a better tenant base because it's backed by parent guarantors. Um, <laughs> right. Or yeah, parent guarantors. So, I mean, 
we're searching strategically on assets and locations where we can get a better tenant for what we could from an acquisition and hopefully reduce the risks that our investors and we have overall. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Where where is the student housing deal that you're investing in, and um, you know, how are you looking at that industry? Because I know that um, there's a little bit of a sour taste in people's mouths post COVID. Um, you know, given that you know some colleges didn't have their students come back right away, but um, that's obviously an opportunity for investors who you know long term believe that people are going to go to college. So um, yeah, I want to just hear kind of your thoughts on that and where where that's located. Yeah, and let me preface: I'm not an expert in student housing at all, but um. I do understand that one market it's in Stephenville, which is 90 minutes or so Southwest of Fort Worth. And the school there became division one double a, a few years ago. And ever since then their enrollment skyrocketed. There are roughly, I think six schools in the nation where enrollment increased during COVID. They were one of them. Um, They have about 15,000 students now and they have, 115 true student housing units mm-hmm. and our projects it's the smallest one we're doing right now it's only going to be 84 units but it's 252 beds and with that supply demand um offset we feel like we can easily fill it and we'll be the newest in the market we'll be we'll have the best amenities which a lot of <laughs> students want and we we think it's a great opportunity. Like we've already started, we've done the horizontal construction. We've started to go vertical. Um, we got the appraisal back and just from construction costs to what they project the appraised value to be, we're building in over 10 million of value um, just from the, the pricing of the construction versus the valuation when it's completed. So those are some, some areas that we look where we can always go in and create a lot of value just from the build and then refinance and basically do like a single family burr or multifamily, which a lot of people are doing now is going in, fixing it up or building, renovating, and then refinancing and distributing a lot of their cash back to investors. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm, I'm curious, given just we've kind of, painted a little bit of the picture of the market in its current condition. And I'm kind of curious, um, you know, who are your investors and if you have investor conversations, how are the conversations going um, nowadays? Like if you can like kind of tell us like maybe what the people are thinking that you invest or invest with you and kind of, you know, what are you saying to them and and how, how's everyone thinking about it? Yeah. um, Our typical investor avatar or just investor or people we've had relationships with over the last 10 or 15 years, um, and we personally know them the last couple of years, we're getting referrals. So we don't have as intimate of a relationship with them, but a lot of them are, since I came from accounting, consulting and finance, a lot of them are, um, in that arena. One of my partners, he's a CPA. He also owns a business, um, franchise or he, he's a franchisee of a business. So a lot of our investors come from that that franchise and um, everybody is cautious. I mean, the stock market, depending on what day you look is down 20, 30%. Um, So there is a lot of trepidation with investors. I I do think in our market um, and in real estate, it's insulated. Like I was having a conversation with the investor 
that lives in New York, works at Citigroup. Mm-hmm. And she was referring to what was going on with New York real estate. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yes, it's great, but it's not comparing apples to apples at all. Um, okay. What's happening in New York is completely different from Dallas. And what's happening in Dallas is resi versus the office versus multifamily, whatever is different. So I think you have to take a very focused look on what's going on. Um, we haven't got away from acquisitions this year. I do think acquisitions were overpriced. I knew interest rates were rising. I didn't know how much. We still don't know where it's going to peak, but I knew pricing was going to come down. Um, so that's why we did focus on development. And when we are building it significantly below replacement value, I think it's a good bet and gamble to take. I also know the all the reports and projections of showing people moving into the Texas Triangle, which is Dallas, Houston, Austin, then you could throw in San Antonio. It's going to double by 2040 or 2050, mm-hmm. the population. So the secondary and tertiary markets, they're going to have ripple effects. I grew up in West Texas. It's really close to nowhere, but it's been crazy to see the economy the last five to 10 years boom there. And now it's over 300,000 people. And mm-hmm. it's partly business growth, partly they're getting a big healthcare system, but you can look and why I bring that up is you can look anywhere in Texas and it's growing. And I think that gives us an unfair advantage. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it gives us an unfair advantage when people keep coming in and they need housing. And we already have an affordable housing crisis or definitely an issue in the country. And we're trying to help fix that. Um, Depending on some estimates, I've seen 7 million shortage. Um, I've seen NAA say there's a 4.2 million unit shortage just of apartments um, throughout the nation. So we're in a great industry to help provide the supply to match the demand at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Yeah, it's a simple supply demand equation as long as you believe that people are going to want to have a roof over their head. You know, they're going to want to, it's going to be, they're going to need a place to live. So I, I, but I guess going on that, like, are, have you ever thought about um, branching out in terms of asset class and trying out other things? Because I know if you are in like a tertiary market where you know it's growing, imagine building the retail and building the office or not necessarily the office, but building the retail and the parks and everything. And like, if you can create like a whole place where people want to come and you have this whole work from anywhere, people have remote jobs, you know, why not create like a whole, whole new town in Texas? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if we have that expertise. We have built retail, um, a, a few retail developments, but I want to focus and we want to focus on our core competencies, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I've thought about investing industrial or some other maybe retail, but I think I'd before I do it myself, I'd invest as a limited partner and try to gain as much knowledge as possible and then take it from there. Um, but we have invested in other, using the word tertiary, kind of other tertiary companies that can help with us. Um, we actually had a call today about starting another company that would help significantly on the concrete side of the business. Um, and obviously we'd be selling to other consumers, but we could participate on the upside on that. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Maybe I was uh, distracting you with, uh, 
shiny object syndrome <laughs> trying to create new little towns in texas but um uh, yeah I, I don't know if we I, I that's one thing i've learned over the last few years is try to stay in your lane and do what you're good because like you said in real estate and in general there's so many ways you can make money and in my late 20s early 30s i i definitely had the shiny object syndrome and i was trying to go here there everywhere like we could easily get into self-storage. I don't know that. I'd have to start basically from scratch with broker relationships, with things like that. So instead of doing it, we're going to GP with a group that's done it. And it just makes sense to let them use their knowledge and their connections. And we just kind of participate on, on the backside. And luckily it's a group that wants our help and needs us maybe to sign on the note. Um, I'm not really sure all the details, but we're in talks with, with a self-storage group that's backed by a couple institutional partners. And hopefully we can grow that to, to a large scale as well. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's awesome. Well, you ready for the lightning round? Sure. Okay. So if you pick any superpower, what would it be? I think it'd be teleportation. Um, I'm an impatient person and love to travel. So if I could fly over to Europe or China, whenever, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what's your favorite uh, What's your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most? I I read 200 books. I've read 200 books in the last few years, so it's tough. Um, <laughs> maybe Who Not How is the most recent one that's impacted the business significantly. Yeah, it's a good one. I've definitely read that and I was, felt like um, just to totally switch my, uh, my, my framework of thinking. Cause I, I just had gotten to uh, how. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I From think what? that's, I think that's every, maybe I shouldn't say every entrepreneur's struggle, but any, person who's a control freak and I'm definitely a control freak um giving the task to somebody else is nerve-wracking but if they can do it 50 percent uh as good as you and you can spend that time on more value-add activities it's definitely worth it mm -hmm. especially if you can find someone who can do it 100 percent better than you uh, oh <laughs> yeah definitely yeah so what motivates you to continue every day I think there's multiple reasons um I, I feel like I've been gifted in many areas, but I've always thought of how to make money and how to invest wisely. And one of my goals, I grew up in a very blue collar community. Um, my dad was a farmer, my mom and dad were teachers. And one of my goals is to make as many millionaires as possible. And then the other reason is just to give back and to make this world a better place. There's so many people and organizations in Dallas and Texas and the US and the world that we can impact through money and um, being able to provide not, not just financially, but also give back time, energy and knowledge to them. Yeah, that's awesome. And so what advice would you give to someone who is following your footsteps? I think network and ask as many questions as possible and don't be afraid to fail. I think from an early age, especially in school, you're taught not to fail. And the biggest lessons I've learned and different things that have catapulted me along my career is failure. 
And I, I think people are just afraid to do that. And obviously you need to learn from that and improve and better yourself. But I learned significantly better from failure than any success I've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So since I put you on the spot, I'm gonna give you a chance for revenge. So what's the question you have for me? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think since you are a very intelligent but a young guy, how are you navigating the real estate market right now? And with you being 21 or so, and we are in a quote unquote recession, what's your plans to get into real estate in the future? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess one big difficulty is it's already hard to get, to get financing, to get lenders, to give you money. So, um, I don't think it helps to not have a track record. Um, so I feel like the, the, the one major key would be partnering with someone who has more experience, um, or, you know, and yeah, I get like someone who can have capital to back me and who can, um, you know, to make sure we can get the deal done, but it goes even further because it's, you know, I still have a lot to learn. And so it's really about like, I want to see as many deals as possible, whether, um, you know, I'm participating in them or I'm, you know, working for someone who's does a lot of deals, but I really just want to see a lot of deals develop this superpower of being able to see like, Oh, like I can tell that's a good deal. Let me just run the numbers, make sure. But you know, I have this, I'm developing the sense, like here are the risks, here are the um, upsides, here's the potential, you know, I can just, you know, tell that that's good. And I want to, I want to learn from someone who has that, who I can ask questions, who can be a mentor um, and that where I can, you know, really, really dig in. I mean, long-term I'm very bullish on multifamily. Um, I like, I, I really believe like it's about time in the market versus timing the market. So it's yeah. like, I believe that for in 60 years, people are still going to like to have roofs over their head while they sleep. And that's, that's really a pretty strong investment thesis because who knows what's who knows if people are going to still use Facebook, right? And who knows yeah. who's going to, you know, whatever with any of these technologies, everything's always changing. But um, I do believe that as long as we're human single physical space, we're going to want to have a, have a roof over our head. Um, so that's just fundamental to my my belief in multifamily. Um, and that being said, I believe even with recession, with rates high and prices coming down, the deals might not look as good. But like, you know, the returns might not be as soon. You might not have great cash flow, you might have to put a lot more money up. But if I could acquire while the prices are lower, um, even with, you know, maybe a low amount of cash flow, that when rates come back down, which I believe they will, um, I can refinance, probably cash out a lot of equity, because if the rates come back down, the prices should go up, um, you know, take out some equity, and then my cash flow will then be, you know, then boost my cash flow, and then continue to, um, you know, put that money into more real estate and and create more places or um, improve more properties and um, and grow my portfolio that way. But um, yeah, I mean, very optimistic and excited. But first, first key or the main the main focus is repetitions, learning, um, getting my hands dirty, and uh, just just getting that experience. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I wish I was in your place at twenty or at twenty one or twenty two, however old you are, because you know so much more about real estate than I did at that age. And it is about repetitions. It's about meeting people, networking, and especially early on, I never didn't take a meeting because you never know what it's going to turn into. And now I'm more selective with my time, but there's been means I've 
had or people I've met at conferences that I didn't think would lead to anything. And they've led to literally millions of dollars. So it's definitely worth, um, I, I, lo- I love what you're saying and repetitions and how you're going about it. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's exciting to meet everyone because it's just like by purely by nature of age, everyone has a ton to teach me. I mean, I can learn a lot from younger people as well, but just the fact yeah. that they've seen so much more, it's like, you know, I, I feel blessed to, you know, talk to anyone and get anyone's opinion and just learn, hear different perspectives that I can weigh and um, integrate into, you know, my my knowledge. So, so yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome to be in this position. I also have the uh, college passport where people who like to help college students. <laughs> <laughs> get into some rooms that's awesome great well sam it was uh great to have you on the show uh learned a lot and enjoyed learning about your markets and um what you're what you're up to pretty very exciting um company you have and i'm I'm excited to see how you grow and continue to uh progress but um if is there a way for people to find out more about you if they want to learn more and and check out what you got yeah, definitely. Um, the best way to reach me is at batescapitalgroup.com slash invest, or I'm on, I'm on social media, but I just don't get on it that much. So you can connect me, connect through Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, Sam, appreciate you coming on the show and everyone keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support, and keep making milestones.